0: Uh, let's turn our Bible, shall we, this morning uh, to the book of uh, <coughs> Hebrews as we continue our journey uh, through this interesting book. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, a deep and engaging book uh, and a uh, letter that was written to the Hebrews, obviously, to Jewish believers primarily who were experiencing many issues of life, one of them being just um, persecution, difficulties, trials, struggles. Uh, and, and many of them were wavering it they were wondering should we just go back to the way of Judaism chapters. go back to the law uh, go back to the, the system we once knew there, there wasn't so much drama there uh, because Judaism was of course much more well known in, in, in the Roman world at that time than Christianity a follower of Christ uh, there was all sorts of strange ideas about what that meant and, and that brought up much persecution and, um, and angst into people's lives. And so some of these Hebrew believers were starting to experience that. Uh, they weren't used to that because, you know, the, the Judaism was, was well known in the Roman world. It was ancient and, and you know, was sort of just part of life and, and uh, considerations were given. But now that followers of Christ who uh, was Jesus? And, and um, these people were getting a, starting to get a hard time. So there were those who were looking back and saying, well, maybe that was a better way. Perhaps we go back to the system. We go back to a list of rules and regulations, and, and that's a safe place for many people. They like systems. They like things to be in place. We just follow along the, the, and, and just tick the box as we come across it, and everything's fine. Uh, but... With Christ, there's a dynamic of relationship, and that means that there is different aspects involved. There's is, is our will involved, there's obedience involved, there is, like any relationship, it's not just a, a following along of a system. Uh, and of course, the, the, what, what's been brought out so far through the book of Hebrews is, is Christ is elevated, and Jesus is the attention, uh, not, not the, the, the system, not the high priest. Uh, but the sacrifice of Christ which was greater than all that happened before. And so uh, we started chapter 10 and Jake uh, began that chapter last week and of course um, speaking about the different things that are superior, uh, the sacrifice, uh, superior uh, to the sacrifices of all, the sacrifice of Christ. You know, Jesus died for your sins. It's as simple as that. He died once and, and that, that act was was sufficient. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. His mission was finished. And and open and available for all who would receive. And if there was no one if there was anyone here who has never received Christ as their Lord and Saviour, who understood what that means, I trust that today, that, that Christ would reveal himself in a, in a clear and fresh way. What Jesus has done has gone beyond the law. The law looked forward uh, to to something that would satisfy the full extent of of God's requirement for sin, and that is found in the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And so as we get uh, through um, to where we began, where we begin today, and we we finished off, um, Jack finished off last week, we we arrive at a a verse that... um, really grabs your attention? What is it that really gets your attention? Hmm. You know, you, you you might think about different things that might get your attention. I woke up one morning, uh, sat up, and bang, uh, something hard whacked me right in the head. It wasn't my wife. <laughs> <laughs> But I realised as soon as that happened that uh, I I was in a bunk bed in a a hut out in the backwoods and uh, as I sat up, I hit the the bottom of the bunk above me and boy, that got attention. And maybe there's other things that get attention in your life, perhaps uh, an an experience that has happened, uh, a situation at work, maybe an accident. Maybe some home life drama. You know, the list goes on. We have different things that will suddenly grab our attention. And they can cause us um, to react in different ways. Maybe cause us just to stop and take stock of life. Today we start out with a verse that should grab your attention. And that's verse 26 of, of Hebrews chapter 10. And it says this, Well, if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Does that grab your attention? Mm. Let's pause there for just a moment to a degree we're going to disconnect it slightly from the context. We'll come back, so don't worry. Uh, But let's just think about what that verse says on its own. And it contains two aspects of life that we deal with Daily, and that is knowledge and will. Now, the two should work together. If you, or when you're driving down the road, knowledge tells you that you need to keep on in your lane. You need to keep on the right side of the road, which for us is the left side of the road, right? (laughs) Explain that to someone from a, some other part of the, of the world if you drive on the, the right side of the road, which is, you know, the wrong side of the road, of course. <laughs> but you're driving down the road, you're on the left-hand lane, you're on the, the correct side of the road. Knowledge tells you that's where you need to be. Uh, knowledge tells you that if you drive on the other, so, other side of the road, it's not going to end well. Uh, now, maybe you have done it, and maybe you've gone too far to the right, too far to the left, and there's been trouble. And so you now have experience to reinforce that knowledge that you need to stay in the right lane. So knowledge tells you something, but it's not necessarily knowledge that keeps you in that lane. It's your will that keeps you in the lane. So as you're driving down the road, you're constantly adjusting your steering wheel to keep in that lane. So your will is, is operating. Your will is, is the one that's saying, well, hey, I'm going to will to get myself back into the lane, right or left, whatever it is, and that's constantly working as you're driving, isn't it? It's constantly, you're constantly adjusting your position on the road, uh, but your will is what's the the active part. Uh, You have knowledge, but it's the will that's working. So you've got knowledge and will working together. But there's times when, despite the knowledge, uh, the will just doesn't quite get with the program, does it? You know things... But the world doesn't sort of follow suit. I dropped my car into the mechanic one day to get a uh, war of Fitness and, and I was just gonna walk into town, it's only you know a few hundred not even not even a kilometer down the road. And he said, I'll take my car. <coughs> no, 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 I'll just walk, no, take my car. And I, I took his car, hopped in, drove the thirty seconds to where I was going next. And as I pulled up my attention was, was was immediately arrested by uh, lights flashing behind me, uh, blue and blue and red light, and it was Mr. Plod, and he comes up, hello, 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 and he's <laughs> not wearing a seat belt. And sure enough, you know, as I got in the, the the car to drive the thirty seconds down the road, it's not that I consciously decided I'm not going to wear a seat belt. It's more like, well, I, I knew I had to wear a seat belt, but. You know, whatever. I'm only going, you know, a few hundred meters, really. What does it sort of matter? And really, never. The world just didn't quite get onto the onto the program, and, and and you know, caused me to think. Okay, I need to put my seatbelt on. Now, I, I was obviously wrong with that. And so the Mr. Pod says, "Well, I see you're not wearing a seatbelt. Is there a reason?" So we spoke about is there a reason that I'm not wearing my seatbelt? Or is, Do I know that I have to wear it? So we dealt with the knowledge part. And of course I didn't have a leg to stand on because I knew, I knew I had all the knowledge. It was my will that was the problem. And and so my will got me into trouble and I had an $80 ticket to confirm that. And you see times like that when we have knowledge, full knowledge, but the will is the problem. Now, as we return that back to a, to a spiritual level relating to our, our walk daily as followers of Christ, Paul sums up this, this um, position very well in Romans 7. If you want to turn that, turn, that, uh, turn up to that, that that's fine. We'll turn to it. Um, Romans seven eighteen. He, he speaks about this where he says, For I know, so here's the knowledge part, I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Okay, so there's knowledge that to come in. And then he says this, here's the will side. Of it, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And so here's this dilemma. He's got knowledge and he's got it's will. He, he knows, but he also has a will. And you know, God has created us with a will, with the ability to make choices. Uh, we're not created as robots that, that just sort of follow along a, a set path but we have choice yeah. and Paul continues on verse 19 of, of Romans 7 for the, the good that I will to do I do not do but the evil I will not to do that I practice so he, he speaks about a dilemma and yeah, I'm sure we've all experienced that but we've got the knowledge that the will somehow is making the wrong choices and what's going on here now if, I, now, if I do what do I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So you recognise that, well, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a flesh, isn't it? As John said, if, if, if we say that we do not sin, the truth is not in us. You now, that's the reality, is that we have to deal with our flesh. We have to deal with that which will, uh, will cause us, uh, will cause our will to go in a direction against which we know is right we you know is wrong get you know is right. our, our natural man will take us in that place of sin and Paul continues in verse 21 I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man and so that surely describes the follower of Christ we delight in, in, in the ways of God we delight in the will of God Yes, uh, we, we agree that that is right and he continues on, but I see another law in my members <coughs> warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And so uh, here's the dilemma that he's trying to deal with, the will and the knowledge. Well, I, I know that's not right, and I know that this is right, but the will is, is, is the problem part. And he comes up with this point, and I'm sure we've all been there, or how many times I've been there myself, Verse 24, O wretched man that I am. That's all he dealt go up with. O wretched man that I am, as he as he recognises the position that he's in. And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He, he, he sees the, the, the problem. But it's interesting that he says, who? Um, he's not really looking for a system. He's not looking for a program to follow. He's looking for a person. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he, he concludes that in the next verse. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the Lord God and with the law the of sin. So recognising that there's those two aspects of life. There's knowledge and there's will. And we battle this daily, don't we? How we need to bring every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. And, and bringing those thoughts that, that will assault us that will cause, that will come to us not so much in the knowledge wrong, but in the will. It will cause us to, to make decisions that um, will go in ways that we know is not right. You know, if you go back to the, the seatbelt issue I had, it was sort of this, this kind of knowledge, subconscious, whatever going on, that, that never really was elevated enough to say, hey, hang on, I need to put my seatbelt on because I'm going 30 seconds down the road, I, I must do this and to actively do that, even though I had the knowledge and there was a degree of will involved but not strong enough to, to rise above what I knew what was wrong, and may God help us in that, that's very much an issue of life, isn't it, that our will needs to be empowered by Christ it needs to be you know, fueled by the Holy Spirit in us uh, that our will would be consistent with the will of God. We need to maintain control over what we think, and and to uh, as those thoughts come to us, to to push them to one side, to make it make our our, our will and our thoughts and our actions obedient to the ways of Christ. Now let's go back to the verse in its context, because we can apply that that. All of that uh, to that verse, and it affects our lives uh, obviously, and it was affecting uh, the life of the Hebrews. But, but what uh, the, the writer here is, is, is specifically saying is sinning willfully. What does that mean? To sin willfully is defined um, over here in verse 29. It speaks of someone who has trampled the Son of God underfoot in this context. It speaks of someone who's counted the blood of the covenant. Uh, a common thing, and it's insulted the spirit of grace. What it is, it is a knowing, deliberate rejection of Jesus Christ and His work for us on the cross. <coughs> in the context of this chapter in Hebrews. Now, in a sense, every sin is willful is sin, isn't it? And, and sin is essentially missing the mark. That was the word that uh, it was brought from. But here the writing to the Hebrew speaks of something more severe and, and, and relevant to these Hebrew believers that were being written to discouraged Jewish Christians, they were. And these were folks who contemplated a retreat from the Christianity or distinctive Christianity and a return to Judaism with its system, with its sacrificial system and so forth. This is a turning your back on Jesus and what he has accomplished on the cross, that's what has been addressed here. And what he says, there was no longer sacrifice for sin. You see, if Jesus' sacrifice for sin is rejected, there remains no other sacrifice uh, that can work, no other sacrifice that can cleanse. And to the person who rejects Christ, what are the options? One option is to blow the whole thing off and say, oh, well, it's all nonsense, you know, you just sort of live and you die, and that's the end of the story. Uh, And many people, that's how they kind of approach life. Well, there's nothing more to it. But that's one option. Is that that an eternal option? Is there eternal life in that? I mean, the person who will do that needs to be pretty sure that that they know all things. There are some who will go down some other faith-based belief. Uh, They they will believe in, in some other deity. Uh, oh, no, my God's not like that. My God is like this. Maybe they might create their own uh, God. There are those who will hold on to good works. Well, you know, I've been a good person and, and I'll, I'm going to sort of rest in that. Uh, that um, the man upstairs, you know, how often do we hear that one? We'll see my, you know, and, and it'll all work out okay. The writer makes it clear. If we gave the other option, which is verse 27. Look at this. For anyone and we reiterate that, for anyone who, who um you know we sin walk if we if, if we reject the things of Christ, what happens verse 27? But a, a certain remains no longer a sacrifice for sins, but verse twenty seven, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. And again, the Lord will give, or the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If someone does reject Jesus' sacrifice, then fearful judgment is certain. Even more certain than it was under the old covenant. You see, when we, we sin willfully in this regard by rejecting Jesus' work, uh, we have, as, as detailed here, trampled, for one, trampled the Son of God underfoot. And so that means we've disgraced. Christ by rejecting his greatest work. We devalue him by devaluing what he did. So, in that context, it's to trample Christ underfoot. It's not mere rebelliousness, or rebelliousness, get that word right, Uh, it's not mere rebelliousness against law. It is what's defined as a wounding of love. You see, a man can stand almost any attack on his body, but the thing that will beat a person down is a broken heart. It was said that in the days of Hitler, there was a man in Germany who was arrested, he was tried, he was tortured, and he was put into a concentration camp, as we, there were many who <coughs> He faced all of this with gallantry, and he, he emerged standing and, and unbroken. Then, apparently by accident he discovered who it was who had laid information against him. And it turned out to be it was his own son. And this discovery broke him and he died. Attacked by an enemy he could bear, attacked by one whom he loved, killed him. You see, once Christ had come, the awfulness of sin lay not in its breaking of the law, but in the trampling of the love of Christ. And so that's what the writer is speaking of here. This is the, the trampling of what Christ has done. It's not just a uh, mere breaking of a law, but the heart of God. Secondly, uh, the death, sin has defined the account of the blood of the covenant a common thing. And so we've considered that Jesus' blood was of no greater importance. Than the countless animals that had been sacrificed under the old covenant. That's where you would come to, just to discard the blood of Christ, that it had no value. You would have to agree that, with that. You'd have to say, well, yeah, I have considered Jesus, but no great importance. And the writer to the Hebrews says, look at what has been, and in effect, he's saying, what was been done for you? What's been done for us? You can personalise that. What's been done for me? Look at the blood that was shed, the the broken body of Christ. Look at what your relationship Mm. to God cost. Can you treat it as something that did not matter? Don't you see what a a sacred thing it is? Sin is the failure to realise that the the, the sacredness of that sacrifice upon Mm -hmm. the cross uh, in that context is what the writer is saying. But the third aspect is the the, 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 insulting the spirit of grace. And so we can offend the Holy Spirit whose one one work and purpose is to present Christ and his work to us. When we reject Jesus and his finished work, on our behalf, we reject God's gift, God's gift of grace. And by default, we're seeking then to be justified by the law. That's an impossible situation. So then, the, in this regard, as, the, as an insult to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks within us, telling us well, what is right, what is wrong. You know, it's working on our will. The Spirit of God is is that which uh, is, is active. It's seeking to check us when we are wrong, to spur us on when we are drifting. to, to Both conviction and conscience is the way God works in our lives. To disregard these voices is to insult the spirit of God and to grieve the heart of God. That's what the writer is inferring here. Now, all through this, one thing comes out sin is not disobedience to an impersonal law, it is the wrecking of a relationship, a personal relationship, and the wounding. Of the heart of God. It's moving from just mechanical stuff. It's moving to a relationship that we have with God. And that's the whole the whole point of, of Hebrews, isn't it? To move it from a, a keeping of some law and regulations to a living relationship with a uh, a Savior who has given his life for us. And so the sin <coughs> spoken of here is essentially that of apostasy. It's willfully turning your back on Jesus. It's seeking salvation through the law or through some other process, and there's only one sacrifice for sin that God will accept, and that is the blood of His Son that he shed for us. And in many ways, Hebrews sort of finds different ways to reiterate that same point, uh, that it is through Christ that we have forgiveness of sin and relationship with God. And so where does that mean such a person who's rejected all that? Well, it's the, is described, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Indeed, to one day face the God you have rejected and offended. That, that's, that's the alternative. Mm-hmm. But the writer goes on, he says, and essentially, in the, 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 the Hebrews, that we may take heart. And what's happened in the past? Look at how things, how you have stood against, uh, stood for God in tough times. And so, Paul, uh, not Paul, well, many people think it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews here um, is encouraging people, the readers, to look back and look at verse 32. But recall in former days, in which you, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For well, you had compassion on me and my chains, enjoying the acceptance of the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven." And so, interesting, isn't it, these these folks, these Christians had suffered for Christ in the past, and were beings, were suffering at that time. They were rejected from their, their, their Jewish community, perhaps being counted as dead. Uh, they came uh, <clears throat> and, and they trusted in Christ. In other words, he's saying, hey, think about how far you've come. Think about where you have come from. And persecution came in many different ways. Uh, certainly, is great sufferings and, and struggles made a spectacle. You know, it was humiliation. They were companions of those who were treated in that way, so they were sort of included in all of that group, including the writer to the Hebrews himself, where he says, You had compassion on me in chains. And so, this is what was surrounding those folks who had uh, once upon a time maybe had a position of, of, of acceptance in, in the community as they were, um, you know following judaism but now as followers of christ they've been pushed out kicked out disregarded humiliated spoken against persecuted all of that stuff have you had that in your life course, in that context they could be put in prison for that as well put to death even they had faced the economic persecution the plundering of your goods so there was a lot of uh, unfair stuff going on against the followers of Christ in that day. Uh, we might think, you know, it's unfair what happens to us at different times, but uh, it's it's a drop in the bucket compared to what life was like uh, at that time. But the point is that they had faced these things and they had endured them. They could take a look at their past endurance and be encouraged to keep standing strong in the future. They made it through times of persecution by keeping the right perspective, a heavenly perspective. And the writer puts it in these words He says, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So, the big picture what's the big picture it didn't in your life? So often it can be uh, just the things around us. And generally, that's what the world will, will will speak of or it will. Be often the never-nevers and living in a fantasy world or somewhere. But what is it that God has put before us? What does His Word reveal to us? There is an enduring position. There is that that eternal hope that has been laid out clearly for us. The big picture, the perspective that uh, there is a you know, a future uh, in, in eternal life for for those uh, who will follow Christ. For those who have see uh, and accept God's forgiveness. There is hope. The writer of Hebrews <clears throat> he makes a the point there. Continue on. Make it through this present time of discouragement. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just need to hear that voice in our lives. Just hold on. Hold the course. Continue through this time of discouragement. Keep the big picture in view. Verse 35, that great word, therefore. Taking all these things into consideration, therefore, what should we do about that? Well, here he says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, confidence, which has great reward. Don't cast away that which is part part of the history, that which you have, that has happened in your life. Don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in them. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So these discouraged Christians were in danger of this very thing. They were in danger of casting away their confidence that they had in Christ. It's not a confidence in self. Don't cast away your confidence in Christ. And they were in danger of doing that and replacing it into an old covenant relationship with God, the old system. You know, we are reminded, don't we, in different ways. To just continue that childlike faith in Christ. Sometimes we make things so complicated uh, when we get old and supposedly sophisticated. <laughs> but often it just puts on layers of complications that don't need to be there. Don't cast away that confidence you have in Christ. Those days when when, when the, the simple relationship we had with God through Jesus Christ was... was, was Well, essentially that, but was just a simple faith relationship. Sure, as we grow and mature and and experience other things, uh, we have all the life issues to deal with, but uh, we still need to maintain that childlike faith because we need to endure. You have need of endurance, the writer says. They, like us, have need of endurance. That's no surprise, is it? What is it like to endure? A lot of of life is about enduring. Uh, As we endure the things of life, it it speaks of um, of, of keeping going. We have need of endurance, don't we? You know, sometimes I wonder if I've woken up on a different planet, the things that are around in life that we seem to have to deal with now, and it's like, well, what happened? Uh, there's so much sort of craziness and, and general points being put forward, and, and and it seems, you know, to put it bluntly, you know, being an idiot is okay. And no one's got a right to say otherwise, but how do we get to some of the things we've got, we've got to in the world and some of the values and, and stuff that seem to have become part of society? Well, we need endurance more than ever. Uh, to find a way to continue through this time and, and and not just throw our hands up in the air and go and live in the hut in the backwoods somewhere. We need endurance, but think back to the days of the Hebrews, you know, or, or this this walk two thousand years ago. They needed endurance too. There were things in their life that were just as uh, difficult to deal with as we have today we need endurance to receive the promise of God after we have done the will of God. And so the toughest and most discouraging trials are when we are called to obey God's will when the fulfillment of His promise seems so far away. Like, well, you know, what do we do now? You know, this is why we need endurance. Faithfulness is during the time when the promise seems unfulfilled is the measure of your obedience and spiritual maturity. And so, you know, faith is not sight and, and that's, that's one of the big problems we always have. Endurance is built through trials, and it's built through the testing of our faith. You know there's some things I wish we would do in the Bible. <laughs> and, and James, verses in James uh, is one, James one, verse two, my brethren countable all joy when you fall into various trials. And you've got to think, are you kidding me? Mm. How can I count it joy? I'm in a trial, be, you know, fantastic. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, but it doesn't just stop there, it goes on to this and says knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So not necessarily the fact that the the trial is is so joyful, but rather there is a a positive aspect to it somewhere. One of them is that the testing of faith produces patience. You know, patience is, is a tough thing, isn't it? Who likes to be patient? Probably no one. That's probably an instant coffee. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not patient enough to wait for it to through, you know, just stick it in there and away you go. Uh, you know, it, it's the reality, isn't it? Everyone, everything in life today is, is opposite to patience.
1: Mm. You
0: know, 24-hour was, you know, seven-day-a-week shopping and now it's online stuff. So, you know, you, you just click and it's there, you know. I mean, it, it, the whole thing is a, about everything opposite to patience. And so when we, we, we would read uh, that the faith produces patience, it's like, well, that's sort of somewhat foreign, patience, I want instant. I want instant faith. Just get it from a get it from the cup, you know, the bottle, and put it in there, and then suddenly I'll get instant faith. But but faith comes through aspects of, of life and one of them is endurance. Testing of your faith produces patience and then it James goes on. But let patience have its perfect work. And so Patient, but also being patient, that patience will, will work out. That's kind of weird, isn't it? That you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. So the idea is there of maturity. This is not talking about perfection as such, but to do with the element of maturity, that you may be mature lacking nothing. This is the, the concept of what James is speaking about. The endurance aspect, the, the, the patience—it does bring an element of maturity. You're reminded of that when your children are very young. You know, I want it now, and that's that's very much you know where a young child is. That's that's normal, isn't it? As time goes on, they learn. You know that, as I was told many times, good things come to those who wait. <laughs> You know, but, you know, it was a tough lesson to hear from my parents telling me that, but you know, that doesn't go naturally in our thinking. But as we mature, uh, and part of patience uh, has that maturing aspect, and this phrase, now the just shall live by faith. And so to follow the footsteps of the just who will live by faith and to endure, to see the promise fulfilled. That's the thrust of, of, of the point here. Now this phrase pops up back in, in Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. And, and the fullness of the meaning, meaning sort of comes out if you look at those. In Romans one seventeen, Paul quotes the same passage. Uh, the emphasis is on faith, that just shall live by faith. You can't get away from faith. There is always the element of faith as we walk by faith, and not by sight. We think, well, we don't think, but I think it, it's some, sometimes we can fall into that um, that position that, that we've exercised faith in God uh, and, and believing, but now we've moved on and, and we're sort of a bit further down the track, and and, and we don't sort of need faith to the same degree. We? we just should live by faith. We can't disconnect those who are. Uh, the aspect of faith for, for everyone who is a follower of Christ will always be faith involved in our lives. Faith is simply believing what God says he will do. Faith is is, is that which is different to sight. But we, we, we know that. <laughs> it comes back to the knowledge aspect, but the will aspect is the application of it. Uh, <clears throat> the just shall live by, faith, live by faith. Galatians 3.11, when Paul quotes this passage uh, there in Galatians, the emphasis is on just. The just shall live by faith just to those who have been justified through Christ. And here in, in this passage, uh, the writer of the Hebrews quotes the same, uh, from the same passage, uh, the emphasis on live, the just shall live by faith. That's how we live. We live by faith. We, there's an element of faith. Um, some people speak, well, talking about missionaries, but oh, we're going to be, just live by faith. Uh, And the reference there, of course, is that they don't have any sort of maybe regular job, regular income. They're going to just trust that God will provide. And and often that's, I think, somewhat misconstrued. And and those people are living by faith as opposed to the rest of us who are not missionaries out in a foreign field don't live by faith. You know, they just live by faith. And each one of you is a follower of Christ that is in that same place. Living by faith, that means that faith is active in our lives daily when we can't see what's going on around us. that's faith, faith, to trust that well, God is leading us. I don't know, I can't see by sight what's happening. Uh, in fact, the can tell me that everything is just sort of in a fair shape, but I'm going to trust that, that God is going to lead us through this. Now, that's, that's the element of faith, or one aspect of it, in our lives today, that we need to be active in. No believer can live without faith. It never stops. Faith is a daily exercise of life, just as important as breathing. Is everyone breathing yet? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you remember breathing? Mm -hmm. A minute ago, do you remember, oh, I need to breathe. You know, it's a natural thing, isn't it? Uh, That you just naturally breathe. You, You think about that with faith. You know, It's a natural thing for a follower of Christ to live by faith. It means that not everything that happens is naturally going to be all <coughs> clear-cut and, and, and obvious. There's an element of faith in all that we do. How is this going to work out? What's God going to do? What's it going to look like? Where are we going? Well, I'm not actually quite sure, but I'm trusting God. You think of Abraham, the father of the faith, and he gives us a great lesson of what faith looks like. He was doing all right. God said, hey, I want you to move. I want you to go somewhere. Can you imagine Abraham turning in his notice to his employer saying, I'm, I'm off, I'm going. Well, where are you going? I'm not sure. Well, how do you know when you're going to get there? Well, not too sure about that either. And you can imagine that conversation, you know, if you played around with it, you? But he mm-hmm. said, I want you to leave. And an example of that, he did leave. He didn't know where he was going, but he knew when he got there, God would confirm it. And the life of Abraham uh, declares that. Well, we'll see more of the aspect of faith in the, in the next chapter. But faith is a daily exercise. Faith is believing in what God said he would do. You can be sure the enemy will assault you with every harebrained thought in order to have you give up on exercising faith in God. You'll be assaulted in your mind. By all sorts of angles. Uh, oh, that's just crazy, you know. I mean, you know, that's not going to happen. You need to do this or that. You know, there'll be things that will just come to your mind from who knows where uh, that will not be based on the faith in God, but perhaps based on what you can see. And as the writer says, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So this is a confident conclusion, isn't it? We will be those who endure and gain the promises of God, not draw back into those old traditions or into an old covenant relationship with God. Or any other replacement for Jesus, is what's spoken on here. And the appeal to the writer of the Hebrews is one that could be made to every man, to every person. And in effect, he says, be what you were at your best. If only you were always, or if we were always at our best, life would be very different. Christianity does not demand the impossible, but if we were always as honest, as kind, as courageous, as courteous as we can be, life would be transformed. And to be such, we need certain things. One, we need to keep our hope before us. You know, the athlete will make his great effort because the goal beckons him on, doesn't it? The athlete will submit to the discipline of training because in the end, well, he has that view of the end. If life is only a day-to-day doing of the routine things, we may well sink into a, a sort of a policy of drift. But if we are on our way, the heaven's crowned effort must always be at, at full pitch, full steam. The best we can do at that time. Secondly, we also need fortitude. So here we have sort of really the, the, the endurance idea. Perseverance is one of the great, regarded, I come across this, good, good, good thought, an unromantic virtue. <laughs> Perseverance. Perseverance has all, well, you know, it's got to have negative thoughts because we're persevering against something. But most people can start well and almost everyone can be fine in spasms. To everyone, it is sometimes given to mount up with wings as eagles. In the moment of the great effort, everyone can run and not be weary. But the greatest gift of all is to walk and not to faint. We can all do a sprint, can't we? And then stop, you know. But what about the walk onwards after that? It's often been said, you know, it's not about how high you can jump, but it's it's how straight you can walk when you land. The third thing we need, we need the memory of the end. You see, the writer of the Hebrews makes a, a quotation there from Habakkuk, and the prophet tells there his people that if they hold fast to their loyalty, God will see them through their prison situation. The victory comes only to the man. Holds on. Hold on. The writer to Hebrews, or to the writer, life was a thing that was on his way to the presence of Christ. It was a journey. And they were journeying. They were moving to somewhere else, but it was a journey was a destination in view, but it was also a journey, and, and it was a journey that, that required certain things. You know, when you go on a journey, uh, you have a destination for sure, but, but part of getting there is the journey that you're on. It was therefore never something that could be allowed to drift. It was its end which made the process of life all important, and only the man who endured to the end, in, in that context of what he says, would be saved. And so here is a summons. You might say, never to be less than our best. This is what what the calling is, isn't it? To always remember that the end will come. If life is the road to Christ, none can afford to to miss it or to stop halfway, as it were. It's about endurance, perseverance, faithfulness, continuing. Often against all sorts of other uh, effects that will seek to come upon us. And so in summing up this chapter and then looking at, at the Hebrews to whom this letter was originally written, it was Warren Wisby who captured the thought, I, I believe, and, and the thrust of the occasion with these words. He says, the secret of victory was in their faith and patience. That's not rocket science, is it? You know, we're often looking for the secret, the secret ingredient. <laughs> the secret thing that we do, everything will be fine. What about this faith and patience? That's pretty grassroots. We're going to see some real-off examples of what that looked like in the next chapter, but let's never forget everyone here who named Christ Jesus, Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are active in some measure in these areas of faith and patience. Everyone here is active in that world. As we consider all of this, I'd just like us to uh, someone conclude on jumping jump at a couple of chapters to Hebrews twelve the first couple of verses that start with the word therefore what's that great word therefore we also since we are surrounded by so uh, so great a cloud of witnesses what does he say let us lay, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance. (laughs) Is that where We can't get away from it. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But here is the the point. What are we doing as we're in that race? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As we are going through the the endurance, as we are dealing with the issues of life, let us run with that aspect. Let us run with endurance. But not just with our head down, you know, what's the donkey's name, e or something, you know. You remember that cartoon, those kids' cartoons? Just sort of, you know, down in the mouth and looking to the ground. No, looking unto Jesus, looking up. Looking to Christ, who is the author. Notice the author and the finisher. Uh, so that the, you could say the one who has begun, the one who is more complete. He's the author and finisher of our faith. That is the one. In our faith in and so wherever you're at today I trust there would be a degree of, of encouragement to hold the course yes endurance and patience and all that stuff is, is, is part of of life uh, but it's not just sort of something that we have to kind of uh, tolerate and, and, and struggle with um, even though it has all those aspects to it but it is part of the journey but we need to keep looking ahead looking up looking at what's ahead, looking at, looking towards Christ, uh, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that will uh, strengthen us and equip us in this journey that we're in. But we need faith. And and may may that element of faith be active in our lives. And it can really only be experienced as as we put it into practice, because there are times when we, we are trying to live by faith, but we're just sort of working with sight and it can lock us down into a place where we can just see only what's around us. It is faith that, that opens our vision. Uh, may we today have a greater, clearer and a stronger vision of Christ in our lives today. What that means. And may he give us the endurance and the strength that we need uh, in this day. That we might live in victory. Uh, not to sort of run, run along and defeat after another. But may Christ indeed uh, be real and and be uh, just give you a, a fresh a vision of his his life and your experience today. Let us pray. Father, we do just thank you. We thank you for the reminder of that it is the just that live by faith. And Lord, you have given us all that we need. Lord, we need strength and endurance. We need patience. We need all of these things, but Lord, may indeed our faith in you be strengthened as we look ahead, as we look at what's around us and and realize that the world is exactly as as you have described. Uh, We need wisdom, for sure, in in dealing with all the issues around us of life as we we move move through. But what we need to be active in the area of faith. So we might just simply rest in you and, and, and believe in what you have said you would do that it may affect all of us and every part of us in our day-to-day life. Father, we do thank you for uh, the fact that your love has been proven to us through through, through Christ. Uh, may that impact us in a fresh way this day. And Lord, as we just take these moments to conclude in worship, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Maybe you have got our attention this morning in some way. Maybe there's something that we need to uh, just... In our own privacy, or our own heart, we might speak to you about. May that happen even as we worship you. we we'll have your way amongst us that we might be strengthened, that our faith might be uh, encouraged, that we might look up, look ahead, and uh, and run uh, with endurance and patience the race you have set before us. We thank you as the author awesome and finisher of our faith, as that you have us hold us in your hands, in Jesus' name. let your stand worship and maybe just allow God to touch your life in, in a way that He is desiring today. Who knows what that is? As, as we live by faith, we can't just keep it in, in tight contained boxes. We need to let God to speak and, and maybe that see, kind of works way out in a fresh way in your life. Maybe you, you need to Pray or bow down or on your knees, whatever it might be, allow the work to work in your life. Just as we take these moments to the work out, to complete and worship. That's this, the this,